Welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Dr. Joni Cannell shares communication strategies for technical people. She shares her own stories of learning to communicate and brings in other nerds and experts to show you how to interact with people in a way that's comfortable for you. And now, here's your host, the uniquely qualified engineer turned psychologist, Dr. Joni Cannell. Hello and welcome to Reinventing Nerds. Today we have an international guest. Her name is Gina Stesko. She is the Vice President of Marketing at Eupraxia Pharmaceuticals in Victoria, British Columbia, Canada. Gina has been a leader in pharmaceuticals for, hmm, we're going to say over 35 years now. In fact, 36 years, I think, to be precise. And she's held executive positions in the pharmaceutical industry, including Vice President of Product Development, Vice President of Operations, and Chief Scientific Officer, in addition to being the Vice President of Manufacturing. So let's welcome Gina. Hi, Gina. Hi, Joni. It's so great to have you on today. Uh, great to uh, be here. Yeah, especially across the international borders here. This is fun. Uh, <laughs> well, I was wondering if we could start out with just, uh, you know, briefly telling us your story of how you got to where you're at now. Oh, boy. It's a long story, but I'll make it short. So as a child, um, believe it or not, I used to read encyclopedias. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and luckily, <laughs> it's, I know it's hard to miss, but... It's, okay, we are at, on Reinventing Nerds, so everyone well, else would be happy to hear that. That's my ticket, right? That's my <laughs> ticket in. So anyway, luckily it was a scientific encyclopedia. Okay. <laughs> so obviously I ended up in science. Um, I uh, chose pharmacy um, because I was interested in how you could swallow a drug and then it would affect your headache or something else in your body. I had no mm -hmm. idea. As a child, you want to know those answers. So. I stuck to it and became a pharmacist and I got my license and decided that um, I could do more. And my boss told me, go back to school, you can do more than this. So I got my PhD in pharmaceutical development and uh, I've been spending about well, the last 36 years working on developing products and manufacturing products. So I'm taking the, the, a, a drug from the bench um, in science all the way to the marketplace. So there's a lot of engineering and a lot of um, pharmacokinetics and there's a lot of math and science and things like that along the way. So um, I guess I just really liked it and I stuck with it. Um, the other thing that happened to me was um, I started to gravitate towards smaller companies. I started out in large companies and as in smaller companies, we developed the products, what's called virtually. So you don't have the full um, staff within your own company. You have to go outside and hire people at different companies around the world to do, the, do your work. And one of the things that that taught me was how to deal with different people in different cultures, not only company cultures, but country cultures. <laughs> yeah. And um, I think that that was one of the things I enjoyed the most, not in the beginning because it was hard, um, but eventually, I, um, I was always curious and interested to meet people and see how they think. And, and I think that what, what's happened over the years is that I, in, I enjoy the science less and I enjoy the people more. And that was not on purpose. That just kind of happened. And so now I, I really enjoy the people and developing the people. And as a matter of fact, there's four people that I mentored 
at different companies that own their own companies now. And to me, that's like the biggest achievement of my career versus the products because these people figured out a way uh, to understand themselves better and to be effective in, in an enterprise like that. So um, I'm doing the same thing here in a small company in Canada. We're only 20 people and um, we're moving a product in through the clinical trials and I'm also teaching them and helping them develop themselves. So it's um, right in line with what I'm used to and what I like. Wow, that's a great story. Um, and it's interesting too. I love the way you're honest about it too, that the, the part that you love, you didn't love at first because it was hard. <laughs> I mean, that's great. I mean, really, it's, you know, when you try something, maybe give it a little bit of time. I mean, how much time did it take you to really, have, you know, get to the point where you were loving it? Um, well, uh, let me, let me just tell you the beginning of that. So okay. I, I actually, you know, thought, well, I'm going to do research. I don't have to deal with people like I did in the pharmacy, you know, because people yeah. come in all the time. And, okay. and, and so little did I know my first job out of graduate school, I got put on all these international, um, work, oh. um, workshops and workforces and things like that. So I was flying to different countries and I was, had to deal with people. So it, it kind of forced me. It was kind of, um, uh, it was a survival thing, I think, kicked yeah. in. And so I realized, well, this is what I'm going to have to learn to do. And I think that in each, you know, life is not perfect. So you make mistakes in each place and you um, learn things that you bring to the next place. And so over time, I guess over 36 years, it just was one event after another. Um, you know, you just, you build this toolbox. And, um, and that's really, in a way, what's happened over the years, different challenges in different countries and different situations, and you just adapt. Yeah, interesting. You know, that, well, I know that we've talked in the past about your leadership style, and I really want to get that out there for our listeners, because I think it's really interesting. You talk about how you used to be more intellectual in your leadership style, and then you moved to more compassionate way of being. So what does that mean? And, you know, how did that come about? Well, you know, I don't really know. There wasn't like an event. Mm -hmm. um, I think that I used to think that if I was smarter, I was better. And so you're always looking to be the smartest one in the room, right? Mm -hmm. And I realized that that you reach a point where people kind of, that irritates people, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it really does. I mean, it's like, okay, so, you know, you've got to not be the smartest person. And then I realized that um, to get people that work for me to be more effective, they really needed to feel that I heard them, right? So I, instead of coming to my office for me to solve their problem, like I was when I was younger, you know, I had all the answers, right? Right. It's it's draw it out of people. And so it's avoiding giving the answer and saying, well, I don't know. Let's work on that together. Or what do you think? And, and the more I did that, it made my job easier, right? I didn't have to be the smartest person anymore <laughs> oh, <laughs> because, yeah. because the pressure was off of me. And what I did was the I, pressure wasn't actually, well, I guess it was on those people because I was forcing them to really, dig deep and think about what they wanted. And then over time, I think I built a, um, a style 
that made it feel safe for them to speak, you know, what was inside. Mm -hmm. And then I really liked that. I just, something clicked in me that's, that I, I really like to understand that. I mean, even in my private life, I do that with people too. Mm -hmm. I said, tell me more about that. Oh, yeah. You know, how did, why did you feel that way? Or I'm just curious, you know, I just become a very curious person. Yeah. So it's really a shift from trying to be the smartest person to being just a really interested, truly interested in other people. And that's the compassion part, right? I mean, I think people don't normally get that. So the compassion to me sounds like you're interested, but then you also added the safety part of it too. And um, compassion sort of means uh, in my book, like a little bit of a, uh, feeling like you can be nicer to people and understand uh, when they're having challenges. And you don't always have to agree. You don't always have to uh, be in their, in their shoes, but you can at least um, understand what they're saying. And it sounds like that's kind of what you're talking about. Yeah, the, well, the thing is that everybody, and this, this, this was really a learning from working with people in other countries, because, you know, everybody has their own life and they put their, you know, their vision of reality together differently. Nobody's the same. And so you can have a prescribed answer for people. Everyone has to come at it from wherever they came from in a way. Right. So, so that's where drawing it out. You, you get people to question their, um, their rules and their, um, vision of themselves and their vision of the situation to say, well, maybe there's another way to look at it. And right. um, I think that's a key to um, having them feel that we're working together to help you. That's to me, that's the compassion part yes. is to say you're important and let's get you to figure it out so that you can carry that forward on your own. Yeah. Um, and then teach other people as well. So, um, you know, I think that was one of the things that I saw that what I was doing was going beyond that one conversation. Yes. And, and, yeah. Do you have an example of somebody that you've worked with, like in maybe one of the other countries that you're talking about where that came out? Well, yeah, there's a good one. Um, so I was working in France, and luckily my staff have been speaking English for 25 years. So <laughs> I, when I apologize for my bad French, they go, no, 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 you're making our English better. <laughs> so they had, they had some compassion too. Uh -huh. But um, we had a department that really wasn't needed anymore at the company and uh, because of our business changed. And this one... Um, gal that worked for me, uh, we talked a lot about how to reassign her, some of the people that worked for her. And we did that. And then she said, well, okay, well, what about me? And I, and so it got into a situation where my, my boss, who I really didn't get along with, wanted me to just fire her. And I said, no, let me talk to her and come up with a good, um, sit, you know, a good result. Right. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we had a lot of conversations and I spent a lot of time asking her what she really liked. What does she really want to do? What does she, what's her passion? What, you know, to try and get her to do a lot of thinking. And um, she, 
she would go home, she'd talk to her husband, she'd come back in and said, no, we, you know, we talked together about our future. And I was like shocked that she was sharing all this stuff with me. And um, it was really good. And there was some crying and, you know, it was, it was really, really good. And we got to the point where, um, you know, I was talking to her about things she could do outside the company. And I think there was a fear of just not finding something. Right. right. I mean, that, that there was nothing out there for her. Mm-hmm. And she got to the point where she said, um, this really isn't the place for me. I need to just take the plunge kind of and go out there. And my husband is supporting me. He said, no matter what, you know, just I want you to be happy. So they got yeah. to that point that gave her permission to go. Right. Mm-hmm. And about three years later, I'm on LinkedIn with her. And I see that she's a founder of a small company, Uh a small pharmaceutical company in France. And I was, I was crying. I was like, this fantastic. She never would have gone there without those discussions. Or if I had just fired her, who knows what would have happened. So, you know, I think that's really compassion. I spent a lot of time listening to her and just asking her questions so that she could get to wherever she was going to go. Yeah. And it worked out really well. That's probably, (laughs) that's a 10 out of 10, I think. Yeah, certainly compassion of not firing somebody. and and, and Well, he told me a lot of things to do and I didn't do them. (laughs) And then I eventually got fired. And and by the way, I want to say I got fired. Everyone was proud of me. I got a lot of congratulatory notes from people. And I asked him, I said, well, I want to know why. And he goes, because you always want to do the right thing. Mm. And I said, that's okay. I accept that. <laughs> yeah. I accept that. And he just got fired last year. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. So anyway. <laughs> Another good story there, a little zinger. Yeah. Well, you don't want to hear all the details about that one. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I do want to ask you about something though, which is, you know, when you, when you did make this change, what was that like with inside of you and um, in terms of, you felt like maybe even there was, was there something uh, within you that made you feel like you had to be a better leader or did it just sort of come over time naturally or how did that come about? It wasn't, it wasn't intellectual. Ah, yeah. <laughs> it happened. Um, there's a number of people on YouTube I have to thank okay. um, because I got into this YouTube thing where I would take some time and I would listen to inspirational things. I do. I, I was uh, subscribing to Ted talks. Mm-hmm. And I listened to Brene Brown, who everybody knows now, but when she first did her talk, she was just a researcher from Texas, you know, at a yeah. university, right? And she talked about vulnerability and it hit me between the eyes, you yeah. know? And that was probably the biggest turning point. I mean, I listened to a lot of Deepak Chopra and uh, Wayne Dyer and, you know, people like that as well. But that one, I think, was really the one that hit home. And then when I went to work, I would be, I felt free to tell people, I don't know. I don't have yes. the answer. You're going to have to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I asked the people that work for me for help. That's the turning point, I think. Yeah, no, that's because, big. Yeah, and they, they, it was funny because they always wanted me to come to the meetings. The person that I replaced when I went there was a French manager and there, they always wanted the French manager to give them the answer. Yeah. Right? So they, people would invite me to meetings, and I go, I'm not coming. And they go, well, we need you there. We, we need <laughs> you to give us the answer. And I said, look, 
I said, you know this stuff better than I do. You all, you, I want the group to decide, and then you come tell me later what you decided. And if it's not okay, I'll let you know. And you oh, know what? That's very empowering, yeah. They never came to talk to me ever again. They would come and tell me what happened. Right. And I would say, good for you. And I never had to go to those meetings. So again, I made my job easier <laughs> by, by making them dig within inside themselves and also collectively as a group, they had to learn to work together because I wasn't going to be there to mm -hmm. referee. Mm -hmm. And that was, a, that was an experiment on my part. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to work, but it did. Yeah. And well, you also gave them um, the checkpoint of like, come to me and I'll let you know if, you know, you need to make a change with their decision. Right. Right. And I even said, well, if you get stuck and you need me, you know, tell my secretary and she'll come get me. <laughs> but they never did. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So. Huh. You know, I like that. You know, I mean, just you're really empowering people. And then you're saying, but I am here if you really need me. And that almost sort of gives people the opportunity to say, oh, no, 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 we don't need you. Well, uh, but yeah. yeah. So, so in a way, in a roundabout way, it was like, if you come to me, you've, you haven't done well, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so I, I didn't think about that at the time, but afterwards I thought about it and I said, well, they're not coming to me because they're not going to admit failure, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I, I, again, I wasn't smart enough to figure that out ahead of time, but <laughs> I really did want them to work together. And I, and, and there were factions, you know, when I came there, that people didn't talk to one another and stuff like that. So it forced them to have to, you know, figure it out. Mm-hmm. And yet, um, did they make mistakes and stuff along the way? Did you have to coach them through that? Or how did that go? Um, I would say no, no major mistakes. I mean, there were some things that, you know, it seemed like a reasonable thing that I wouldn't have probably come up with a different answer. Right. It might not have worked out. So I wouldn't call it, you know, a mistake. I would call it, um, you know, a best guess that, you know, did that had to be changed, you know, but I didn't say no, no catastrophic mistakes or anything like that. Well, I think that's huge too, that you're saying that it was okay for them to do it differently than you would. That's, that's sort of taking that micromanagement piece out of there, right. And saying, no, 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 we can do it in a way that uh, you've developed and I can help you through that too, as the leader. Right. I mean, they, they've been working, you know, at that company for 20 years and here I come in in one year you know, I sat down all my direct reports. I had 12 direct reports and I said, look, you guys have been doing this for 20 years. I'm just coming here. I'll teach you what I know. You teach me what you know, mm -hmm. but you guys know all the details and I'm not going to micromanage you guys. Right? right. So, so that's another reason why, because um, I, I had a lot to do. I was in the head of all the research. I had 75 people and I, there's no way that I could have dug into all the details of how they do everything right mm -hmm. i mean just there's no way so um you know they knew their area and anything that overflowed into what i knew that's what i get pulled in on right and okay. so um so it was a kind of a collaboration in a way versus a top-down situation yeah 
Well, I'd like to shift a little bit to talk about how you develop people. I mean, this is how you empower them. And, and I suppose they develop themselves a little bit along the way. But do you have specific strategies that you use to help other people change and to develop themselves? Well, I think the first thing is that you really need to observe and not make the snap judgment, right? A categorize people like to put people in boxes. Yeah. You know, and because every company and every country and every situation is different. And you have to, as a leader, give yourself time to understand the landscape, not only of the country and the the company, the products your peers, the managers, or your CEO, and, you know, you need to get a, a, a sense for the, um, the culture and the vibe and, and also um, spend enough time with the people, not just in meetings, but in, in other kinds of situations. Um, I like traveling with people because you have a lot of downtime and you're sitting and chatting yeah. and people talk about their families and their hobbies and stuff like that. So you really need to get a well-rounded view of somebody before you launch into say, oh, you know, this person needs this or this person needs that. Mm -hmm. So that's the first thing. It's a a commitment to um, um, really understanding someone before you come up with a a plan. Um, And then, you know, you need to think about what kind of runway they have and they need. So where are they now? Where can they go, and what are the what are the p- possible steps, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm dealing with someone right now, and they, you know, I'm seeing opportunities opening up. So I'm trying to put this person in these opportunities, because that's going to move them further down the road a couple steps to where I I know they can go. Yeah. You know, so you look at their talents, you look at their um, your, their ability to interact with people, their flexibility. Um, their openness and things like that. And there's different jobs that are going to fit different people, right? Um, And so you basically, it's not a short-term thing. You have to look at the next three to five years for that person and that you may have to build some stepping stones for them, right? Mm -hmm. But it also sounds like you're not just trying to hoard them to yourselves, that your stepping stones could be for them to move on and move out and move into other areas um, yes. Part of their right. development. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Uh, because again, like I, I, that example of feeling really good about this person where they ended up, that's what it's all about. So, you know, it doesn't matter where the person's going to go as long as they have a good result in the end. Because right. when I leave the company, that's what I'm going to think about. I'm not going to think about the products necessarily. <laughs> I will. I mean, I will. But I mean, you know, it's the people for me, it's the people that I've dealt with and, and knowing that they have families that are prospering and you know, it goes beyond that one person, right? Well, let me ask you a couple questions about that. Cause uh, first of all, one of the fears that I hear from people is that, well, you know, you don't want to invest all this time developing someone and then have them leave. Um, how do you handle that aspect of it? <laughs> I mean, that would be awful to say, you know, I'm not going to let you improve because I want to keep you working for me. I mean, that's, I would say that person really needs some help. (laughs) (laughs) 
I mean, that's like anti-compassion. Like, what do you call yeah. that? I don't know. Oh, what do you, you know, what do you call that? Hoarding. Right? You call it hoarding people. I mean, yeah. Um, that, no, I mean, look. I mean, I, I mean, I'll just talk broadly. We're on this planet you know, to experience other people and to have our own experience. And it's, it's not about business. We do business to, to live and to do those other things we want to do. And so I guess I look at it as, you know, we're just a collection of people trying to, um, you know, find our way, if you will. Yeah. Um, I think it was Ram Das said, um, you know, all we're doing, we're, we're all walking each other home. And, and I like that quote because yeah. I think that's true, that really, um, you know, we're just trying to help everybody have the, the best result. At least that's my view, um, whether it's a business or anything else, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, there would be some reward in that too. I mean, if you are having people develop, maybe they can um, move up within the company or you know, you have connections outside and hopefully you have a pipeline of people, right? I mean, that seemed to me, if you everyone's growing, you'd have a pipeline uh, that you can draw on for to replace them as well, no? That's right. That's right. And the other thing is, well, it, it's maybe it's not easy to do it right away, but that person should be developing other people as well. Oh, yes. So, so if, it's, if it's somebody that's really going to move up, they really aren't they really shouldn't be moving up unless they're also developing people because yeah. when they get to that higher level, they're going to do more of that. Right. So, um, you know, I, I, I always do that when I, I mean, even in France and, and here I talk to the people that work for me about the people that work for them. Mm-hmm. And I'll say, what about Joe or what about Michael? What are you doing? What are you doing with them? You know, how are or or I might see a project and I go, this is a good project for Michael. You know, maybe what do you think about that Think, You know, go off and think about that. So I'm always looking to go the next level down. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's interesting, just that another all well, these thoughts are coming up. There was a technician in France um, mm-hmm. who had been there 30 years, but but in the in the French system, those people aren't recognized because they're not management, right? They're just kind of in the basement doing the work, right? Okay. Uh, important work. Yeah. And so I, we had a project where we had to come to the U.S. and uh, work with a company that I had built a relationship with. So my manager was coming and I said, well, why don't we bring, um, oh, I can't remember, the Philippe, um, and, with us. And everybody was like, what? He's only a technician. <laughs> You know, but he's only a technician with 30 years experience, right? He's the <laughs> smartest person in the company. So we brought him along. It's the first time he'd traveled for the company. Hmm. And we went to we went to meet for dinner. And he goes, I'm taking you out for a drink. <laughs> <laughs> he celebrated the whole thing. And it was the greatest thing. And it went through the whole company. So, um, you know, I, I think that looking beyond the people that just work for you can have a huge impact and you might be surprised by how much of an impact that has. Wow. Uh, And morale and all sorts of things too. Um, Well, I had another question for you, but I think you've kind of answered it, but you know, maybe in terms of just thinking about it broadly for advice to others too. I mean, the excuse I often hear 
rationale, excuse, whatever it is, is that, you know, in hard driving tech companies, they're saying we don't have time to develop people. Um, you know, there's just no time, you know, and so what's your response to that? Well, I, I guess I would, I would first have to understand their situation. And is it really as dire as they're saying, or is it an excuse? Mm-hmm. Because there are some situations, and I have been in situations myself, where you don't have enough resources and, um, you know, it's like you only have five fingers to put in the dike, you know, or ten fingers to put in the dike, right? Mm-hmm. And so you run out of fingers and you're scrambling around. So there are always those situations where you're just trying to keep your head above water, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think in some cases that could be an excuse, um, because they're so busy, they, d- they can't figure out a way. They're so focused on solving the problems that they um, don't have a longer term view of the department or the company. Right. Um, and obviously you have to, part of your responsibility as a leader is to build, help build the company, not just solve problems in front of you. And so you need to break out some time to do those kinds of things, right? Um, and, you know, Simon Sinek had a quote I really like. He says, if you don't understand people, you don't understand business. Hmm. So it's a collection of people, you know, working towards a goal. And so if all you're doing is solving problems um, all day long and not looking after the future, you know, resources of the company, mm-hmm. um, the company won't be successful. So, um yeah. You know, I've been in some companies where we're in the executive team and the CEO goes, okay, what are we doing about people? And it's a topic because it's just as important as money or partnership or contracts or partnerships or anything else. It's a resource to get things done. So, you know, so I, I don't, I don't really buy that. I mean, in certain situations, I think, yes, you, you are pressed for time because of emergencies. But um, that shouldn't be 100% of the time. Yeah, so I guess what I'm hearing is that you have to balance a little bit of the short-term and the long-term thinking there because your company's not going to be around if all you think about is short-term. Yeah, and the other thing I think that senior management really needs to set, um, have their leaders have a piece of their goal to be a people goal. You know, what are you doing about Mm -hmm. hiring? What are you doing about training? What are you doing about promoting? Mm -hmm. And, you know, maybe it's, 15% 15% of their annual assessment or something, but yeah. it's got to be in there because what you measure, you reward, right? Yep. So. Yeah. And I also heard, I mean, that's why I was saying you kind of answered the question, but throughout the interview, you've given a lot of creative ways to develop people that don't necessarily have to take up a lot of time, like just empowering them or giving them opportunities to do projects that you think they can handle that, will help them grow. It's not like you're sending them off to a leadership uh, development uh, course for, you know, a couple of weeks. You're actually having them do the work that, while they're developing. <laughs> oh, you pushed a hot button on me. That, that is a total waste of time. You get a binder, you put it on the shelf and you forget yeah. about it. No, it's the, it's the soft stuff. It's the little stuff. And you don't have to be a psychologist. You don't have to be, you know, somebody who is, um, you know, gives, surveys and and scores the people and all that stuff. I mean, that's for people outside the company to come in and help you with. But, um, you know, I think that um, 
it's a mindset, you know, and I think that you can't just tell people you need to do this as a leader, you need to do this. And it just happens. You can't go to a two day seminar and say, just here's the checklist of 10 things to do and everything will be fine. It's kind of looking inside yourself um, and nothing will change until you change your view of what is going on around you as a leader. And I think that's the thing. I think people don't spend the time on that. And then they go, well, just send you to a course. Mm -hmm. And it's, it never works. <laughs> yeah. Rarely, rarely works. I mean, I'm sure it does have some effect on some people, but um, I haven't seen it really have a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Well, this has been really interesting. I mean, you're sort of summing it up here by it really is a mindset. And, you know, you shifted yours as a leader from being more of an intellectual mindset to a compassionate one. And this whole idea of needing to develop people along the way to uh, have a better company and a business strategy is also a mindset. So yeah. I think that kind of sums it up for people. If you want to have to people reach you after the show, do you want to share some contact information or? Um, well, um, I'm on, I'm on LinkedIn and okay. um, I'm, um, that's probably the best way. And okay. it, they can reference this podcast. And then yeah. I know um, that the connection and then I can um, respond to them. That's probably the best way. Okay. Um, well, thank you. Well, you know, this has been super interesting. I really appreciate you going across the, the borders here to give our listeners some tips on how to be a more compassionate leader and just uh, uh, think about within how they can be a better leader. So thank you, Gina, for being on our show. Oh, thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Oh, great. Well, you know, this is Reinventing Nerds. We're here at ReinventingNerds.com. And uh, you don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. And we'll see you next time. We hope you enjoyed today's episode of Reinventing Nerds and encourage you to apply what you learned to help you communicate better. For a free consultation with Joni to see how she can help you further, please visit ReinventingNerds.com. Until then, embrace your inner nerd and remain true to yourself while you develop your communication strategies.